Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Gobeski Wallace Report. My name is Charlie Wallace. And I'm Adam Gobeski, and please welcome our three. Uh, hmm. They're not international. Not really international. No. <laughs> <laughs> please welcome our men e guests. Doug Gobeski. <laughs> Hello. Paul Wilcox. It's great to be here as an e man. <laughs> <laughs> and Kevin Bradova. Hello. Thanks for having me. So we are here to discuss Paul's favorite movie in the March. And why is it Paul's favorite movie? Wait, we're talking about Captain America 1990? We're not. Oh. <laughs> no, we're discussing installment 69. Nice. nice. That's more just most anticipated installment <laughs> that's than fair. favorite movie. That's, that's fair. All right, our most anticipated installment of the Mary Marvel Movie March installment 69. Nice. And that is the June 2019 film Men in Black International. Men in Black International is the story of one Dennis Men in Black International, who is the uh, one, two, three, fourth in line to the uh, mansion in black and international. (laughs) And so, so he has to successfully defend his uh mansion from a a call-in radio show contest where they said that anyone who goes to this mansion in black international and uh tries to purge the residents they get the mansion for that night until then they themselves get purged and uh dennis says well no hold on wait a minute uh this is not what i agreed to when i uh inherited this uh mansion in black international and uh the lawyer says well actually you did see if you look at this part here of the contract it says clearly that you do that and then he said dennis says well no because that's superseded by this clause over here and so it's uh it's a tight two hours discussing uh property law wills and uh contracts it's fun for everyone yeah it sounds very educational yeah i learned a lot (laughs) I mean, it was very educational when I watched this movie. Paul, what's this movie actually about? Uh, Three sentences so, or less. Give us the TV Guide channel synopsis. The TV Guide channel synopsis. In other words, you don't um, need to outline the entire plot. You can just do like setup and stuff. After an extraterrestrial encounter as a young child, a Brooklyn woman goes to great lengths to join the secret organization responsible for protecting the intergalactic inhabitants of that that yeah that's it that's my sentence can i have a stab at it you may continue what he is saying <laughs> uh, we'll do a tele- no thanks telephone style where she encounters a plot that could destroy the earth period. yeah that would that would fit in a box yeah come on i really want to I, I got a good one I'll leave it up to Charlie. Charlie. Do it. That was real dirty sounding. (laughs) (laughs) A chance encounter with an alien that the men in black fail to adequately uh, cover up results in one woman becoming a fem cell and also causes the deaths of countless untold others and maybe, maybe help save the world. Charlie, what's your rating on that? synopsis uh it's intriguing it's, it's fairly inaccurate i give it a 
<laughs> eight out of ten. I'm I'm watching. I'm watching. I mean, as a synopsis. I'm sorry. Did you say it was fairly inaccurate? Yeah. No. It it's, was, oh, sorry. It is fairly misleading. It's 1998. I'm watching TV Guide Channel, and I don't know what the f- Femcel is. <laughs> <laughs> is that a typo? <laughs> 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 I didn't know that one you got through my wall, Paul. <laughs> that one, wow. <laughs> Something about the way you phrased that. <laughs> Whew. All right. So Men in Black International, a spinoff, I guess, of the main Men in Black movies. I don't know if you want to call it spinoff or continuation. I mean, it's continuation and that's the next movie. It's a spinoff in that basically none of the original cast have returned from first three men in black movies production wise do you remember there was a brief period of time where they were floating the idea of a 21 jump street men in black crossover movie i had forgotten about that (laughs) yeah this this was a thing that apparently was semi-seriously discussed and sony had to make a decision do we go forward with this or do we just do a new men in black movie because i guess men in black 3 had done well enough and one of the rights holders of or producers or something like that of uh, 21 Jump Street was refusing to give up certain uh, rights, I guess, to the 21 Jump Street property. I don't know if it was like first refusal or first cut or anything, something like that. But anyway, the upshot is like the Sony said, all right, well, that's going to take too long to try and sort out. Let's just make a new and a black movie. And so that's what they did. They hired uh, F. Gary Gray to be the director who is probably better known as the director of things such as Friday, uh, the remake of The Italian Job, Straight Outta Compton. Uh, he also did The Fate of the Furious, which is Fast and Furious number eight. So, Fate. It sounds like there was uh, conflict between him as the director and the studio because the vice president of Sony, who had initially uh, greenlit this thing, left. And no one replaced him. So instead, he was dealing with one of the Men in Black producers who had been a producer on the previous three. And they were sort of butting heads about what a Men in Black movie should be like. And it sounds like Walter Parks, apparently, is a producer on this and the previous three. And so Walter Parks and uh, F. Gary uh, Gray were butting heads. It sounds like usually Walter Parks won. And F. Gary Gray apparently tried to quit multiple times and had to be constantly talked back because of this interference. For what it's worth, Walter Parks disputes the characterization of this story. Uh, he says it was no different than any other movie you know, production, just as these things happen. It sounds like from certain points of view, there may have been some studio interference that kind of sanded off some of the edges. Apparently, they were getting new script revisions constantly to the point where uh, supposedly Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson both hired their own personal writers to like write, rewrite some of their dialogue so that they could get some like consistency and stuff because they were just constantly confused on what was happening with the script revisions. And then the movie came out and it did, I think it did okay, but it didn't do great. I remember the Lion King live action was out around the same time. Yeah, Wikipedia is claiming that it didn't break even, but I feel like not many movies break even just because of the way Hollywood accounting works. So that was the production side of things. But we get to decide how was the movie that they presented us? Was it good? Was it bad? And so we'll start by just asking, had you seen it before? I did not see it. I or had not seen it before. I was I was vaguely aware of it at the time. Yeah, same. Also, same. I I was aware of it. Uh, I watched it for the first time on YouTube TV about 
<laughs> four hours ago at this point. The same here. I knew that it came out the same time as the live-action Lion King because we went to see that at a drive-in, and this was playing on the opposite screen that I didn't watch. That's all I really remember about it. <laughs> at the risk of uh, uh, asking a question maybe I don't want the answer to yet, but, uh, <laughs> do you regret that decision in retrospect? Uh, no. I mean, we had Celeste with us, but she was really young, and I guess, well, no, she was enjoying the Lion King, so no. All right. Hiding behind your daughter. I see how it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess I'm the only one who had seen it before. In that, it was on sale for Black Friday yeah, 2020, I think. And I knew it was coming up in the March. And I was like, well, I'll just grab it. And so then uh, we watched it. I think Brandon and I were both sort of pleasantly surprised because we'd sort of heard that it was terrible. And we were like, oh, it's fine. I don't, you know, it's not my favorite movie of all time. It's not a Green Lantern, but, you know, it's fine. I don't know if Kevin knows about my long-stated love of Green Lantern. Oh, was that an unironic statement? <laughs> I haven't is. actually seen Green Lantern, so I, uh, I don't have much of an opinion of my own. I, I'm willing to acknowledge that, you know, from a business standpoint, it's probably not uh, economically effective to make a movie solely for me and then release it to the entire world. <laughs> but I appreciate that they did that for Green Lantern. We we all are looking for that movie that they made for me, you know, or for for just exclusively for ourselves. Yeah, I thought it was going to be ten thousand BC for me, but oh, I forgot about that. You were talking about that. For a <laughs> I was while. really excited. I still haven't even seen it yet because I heard it wasn't very good. But I think I should probably watch it because if it was made for me, I might be the only person who likes it. I did talk about that a lot back in the maintenance days. You did. I briefly, I think, <laughs> I think I Googled it once to see if it was cost effective to just buy it for you. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, did the DVD is out of print. <laughs> <laughs> it's not on any streaming service. <laughs> I got to go find a copy of that at Disc Trader or something. I'll bet you that's in the uh, four for five dollars or whatever that. <laughs> yeah. Those are two for three or whatever those walls are. That's just full of Johnny Depp movies. (laughs) Yeah, there's like 30 copies on the outside wall, but it's like one per shelf, like scattered everywhere. (laughs) So where should we start, Charlie? Uh, I guess this didn't even really register with me at the time, but it stars Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson. And so that does seem like a recipe for success after Thor Ragnarok, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I might argue that they're some of the better parts of the movie. Oh, for sure. Yeah. They're not the best part, but what is the best part? (laughs) Yeah. Now I'm curious. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I think, I think that was supposed to be Charlie asking that question. Oh, I assume this is going to be Charlie's least favorite part and we're going to get contentious (laughs) right away. (laughs) (laughs) But no, the best part's Pawnee. Oh yeah. No. Agreed. Oh, wait, wow. seriously? Wait, what? Oh, here's that the is the exact opposite. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, initially, yeah. initially I was I was a little hesitant about Pawnee. I was like, eh. And then he won me over. I'm I'm usually a huge fan of, and I'm going to butcher his name, uh, Kumail Nanjiani. Is that, is that close? That's right. I met him uh, once. I mean, usually I'm a... What? You did? What? Yeah. Well, he had a comedy show that we went to. And so, yeah, we went up and said, hey, great show. And... 
Dude's like, yeah, do you play any... Okay, he's a big video game fan. He's like, oh, you play any video games? And we were talking a little bit, and he wanted to talk about the PS Vita, and I was like, I don't know anything about what? that. <laughs> Seriously? Yeah. No. Legit. If only we could have switched bodies for that moment. <laughs> so basically, I was like, that sounds oh, cool. So I don't know what else to say. <laughs> did you ask him what his favorite games for Vita were? Because... You know, I don't. I don't remember. Yeah, I probably. (laughs) Wow, he wanted to talk about the people. (laughs) I'm gonna tweet to him. I'm gonna send my first tweet. (laughs) See if he has open. I just. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry. So Kevin was making. Oh yeah, I was. uh, Yeah, that's not. We haven't. This isn't the last we've talked about this. (laughs) Right. Just. I mean. I didn't take a lot of notes on this movie in general, but one that I wrote was just, it was simply the Pawnee scene was bad. And I think that was like the very first where he kind of becomes like, oh, he's going to be a character now. It just, it felt like they were writing or they were attempting to write the kind of comedy that, that Kumail Nanjiani is like known for just kind of like that deadpan. Like, I, I, I don't know how else to describe it. And it just wasn't quite, white hitting i don't i don't know he he it felt like they were aiming to create like a bb8 and they hit more like a scrappy do for me at least i don't know i will he, agree <laughs> that that scene is probably his weakest scene and that's what mm-hmm. i mean when i say he grew on me it was like once we got through that scene like he improved for me that's fair gotta go up from there at least you don't have to we've seen enough movies to know that <laughs> Who can forget Johnny Knoxville in Men in Black 2? <laughs> in a lot of ways, he is kind of like the best and worst thing about the movie because when the stuff doesn't land, you're like, ah, oh, like, couldn't you have come up with something better than that? But the couple of the things, I like the the notebook riff actually made me laugh out loud. I liked that part. I don't know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I remember it. Just while I, they're I fixing the, uh, the word right while now. they're in the desert fixing the thing. But. Yeah. <laughs> And he says something about how he hasn't even seen the notebook. He just assumes that's what it is. <laughs> but yeah, I like, I liked, I generally liked Pawnee. But I, I also thought that Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson were uh, paired well. Because in Thor Ragnarok, right, like Tessa Thompson's character is a lot more uh, like bitter and sort of hard driven, you know, but it's also like a badass. So it was kind of nice to see her in this still with Chris Hemsworth, but a little less cynical, I guess. I don't think any problem I had with this movie had anything to do with the actors. I think pretty much everyone acquitted themselves real well. Uh, Chris Hemsworth, obviously, Tessa Thompson. uh, I mean, Liam Neeson, obviously, a good job with what they were given. To me, it was more just the writing and plotting side that wasn't clicking for me. Yeah, I think it's the writing. I agree. There's just a lot of things in here when you step back and think about it. Like, oh, yeah, Men in Black and like all of these good actors and who have good chemistry together and like it's going to be international they're going to be they're going to be jet setting and going all sorts of different places and it works on paper for sure i admit i did have an an issue with the core concept there like this is an intergalactic organization or at least an organization (laughs) that deals with you know galaxy spanning issues and like the exciting thing is like oh and this time they're going to paris like right it, it just There's British men in black. Silly. What? <laughs> so here's why this worked for me, I think. Because I came to this sort of realization the first time I watched it. I think I was willing to cut a little more slack because of that. But the first three men in black 
like they're you know secret agents who are covering up alien involvement right but for the most part it's basically it's a kind of buddy cop you know like a a lethal weapon or that kind of thing right where Mm -hmm. that's sort of the interplay what this movie feels like it's doing is it says okay let's take the other side of secret agent style movies instead of doing like a buddy cop sort of comedy thing let's do a james bond style thing but with aliens and once i sort of clicked into like that felt like it felt like that's what they were going for like a lot of it made more sense to me like oh this is why they're like doing like infiltrations into this like italian castle and why they're in paris and marrakesh and stuff like this because this is what happens in james bond movies yeah that clicked for me when they were taking the boat to the island yeah same part Yes, it clicked but... for me when you said it just now. I admit, until that point, that was not. I mean, that's an excellent point. I like that. But that favorite is... movie now. <laughs> yeah. probably ten out of ten. I, I would agree as long as we specify that it's the campy James Bond movies. Well, I think by virtue of the fact that the Men in Black series are comedies, right? Like, yeah, you're not getting Casino Royale, the Daniel Craig Casino Royale. You might get the Woody Allen one, but. Uh, you're you're not getting you know sky falls you know the daniel craig bond movies here yeah you're getting something closer to the not even the roger moore maybe like some of the campier pierce brosnan's like the one where he fights bill gates yeah bill gates stand in where which one is that that's tomorrow never dies oh okay now i was thinking i was trying to decide like maybe it's more like die another day where Here's another movie that's not actually that great, but it does have the jet setting and it has like, you know, the threat to the world and stuff. Yeah. So I guess I agree with Doug. Yeah. It's the campier side, but I don't know that it's like full, like Moonraker campy, you know, uh, you know, I would say that it is, but anyway, I think the basic point is that it feels like this movie is attempting to do a James Bond spin on the men in black format. And then obviously we can argue about degrees, but yeah. And I think when I made that connection, like it, it clicked for me. And so I was willing to cut it. I don't know if cut it's a bit more slack, but I could better understand where it was going and why it was doing some of the things it was doing. And so I guess maybe I had a little more time for it because of that. And, and so also maybe that's why the, some of the plot problems didn't bother me as much because they just felt like James Bond style plot problems. Nothing outside of the typical looseness of the James Bond plot. Right. Like, I think the only thing that really tripped me up the most was why Vungus was bringing the weapon to the Men in Black in the first place if he was suspicious about who could be trusted in the organization. I think it was implied that High T convinced him to bring it. It was one of many plot elements that wasn't developed super well. So he had specifically asked for H to show him around. And then when he touched him... He said, you're different. Like he had initially intended to go there because he trusted H and then had to call an audible and give it to M instead. Now that I'm thinking about it, like didn't pick that up at all as I was watching. Yeah, Yeah, I think that was the part that was least clear to me as opposed to just like, oh, James Bond looseness, as Paul put it. So what? So I get that the bad guys turned Liam Neeson and then Liam Neeson neuralized chris hemsworth but what i don't understand is why did chris hemsworth go from being a really good at his job agent to being a loose cannon 
That's one of my notes. I have absolutely like, no idea. I, I wrote what made him start to suck. Like, like, I don't think it's really ever addressed. Like, does being neuralized, like, is that just cause severe traumatic brain injury? Is it my, like being hit with a brick? My thought was that as part of the neuralization, the hivified high T told um, H to also, like, cover for some of the, like, stuff that high T was doing. And that had a consequence of making him look suddenly appear to be a loose cannon and a less than stellar agent. Uh, can I just say that I'm not convinced? You can say it. You're wrong. Because okay. uh, we're a podcast and we, we thrive on conflict. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm not convinced. I think your explanation sucks. All right, then. Well, what do you got, uh, Charlie? I don't think it. <laughs> I I love the forced conflict. It makes me feel warm and fuzzy. <laughs> I think you're right. It doesn't make any sense. I don't think it's explained. Weren't they saying too? It had something to do with him breaking up with the arms dealer, or is that just completely unrelated? I feel like that happened after he got neuralized, though. Yeah. Yeah. I liked the idea of him being neuralized just like as a plot element, but why didn't the hive just take over Earth like that first time around as opposed to waiting a few years? Also a good question, but again, mm. that feels to me like a James Bond. Just accept question. that it is a thing that okay. That they fair. thought that the men in black would eventually find the weapon, so they were just waiting. I knew the that. weapon was related, yeah. But also, why didn't the Hive just take over Chris Hemsworth, too? As long that, as they were there. That's yeah. another spectacular point. That's a really good question. I feel like we're poking holes in a movie that is really just here to entertain us. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't uh, know. <laughs> I'm going to hold you to that, Adam. When we get to me contextualizing this movie in cinema. Wow. All right, Charlie. <laughs> for me th i mean this movie felt essentially like a throwback to the 2000s or so so after all of these you know interconnected marvel movies that we've been seeing and you know plus by this point the the marvel cinematic universe had essentially eaten hollywood it feels i don't want to say refreshing but it feels like something from an earlier era to, to go back and, you know, just have this movie, which even though it's part of a franchise, just kind of seems like it, you know, it's an adventure and it works just on its own. And it's trying to be a comedy, but in a way that's like that 2000s era comedy, you know, like you could easily see, I don't know, Jack Black in, in this movie. He like, he would just fit right in, you know, rather than like uh, snarky Tony Stark uh, jokes all the way through. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that this movie reminds me of nothing so much as G.I. Joe Rise of Cobra. <laughs> Okay. Like, it is the spiritual successor to, in terms of vibes, to G.I. Joe Rise of Cobra. Okay, that's objectively wrong. So, <laughs> <laughs> No, no, they've got cool gadgets, you know, that they have to show off. Uh, they're, they're trying to, you know, save the world. I'm, it's been a number of years since I watched that movie, so I assume there was a, probably some, you know, subterfuge and stuff involved. No, and you're... This is why that's objectively wrong. And, and they both have bad CGI. Huh? Huh? Wait, what was wrong with CGI in this? I thought it was funny. 
I actually kind of liked the effects on the twins, whatever they were. The, the twins, twins were good, but them. a lot of the aliens, particularly in the, the like walking through the offices of Men in Black, a number of the aliens looked really, really bad. I did not feel that way. Like, like essentially on par with some of the bad CGI in G.I. Joe. That is that is 100% not true. You know, you're talking a lot you, about this movie. If you I'm actually like, watched G.I. Joe, you would understand. I saw it next <laughs> to you in the theater. If you watch G.I. Joe again, you would realize how wrong your opinions are right now. And you would apologize to the world for them. We need to take a break so I can watch G.I. Joe. <laughs> I'm, I'm quick. Two-hour time out. We'll reconvene at 1.30. Yeah, in the morning. Yeah. One of the things, so one of the things G.I. Joe is explicitly doing is setting up a franchise of movies. Like, it's saying, we're going to have more movies. We're going to talk about Destro and Cobra Commander and all these other characters. I don't know anything about G.I. Joe, so I don't remember the names. And what I actually found really refreshing about this movie and felt like a throwback to the mid-2000s way Doug was saying, but not for the reasons he stated, is that this is not setting up future movies. This is not a movie where we suddenly get scenes dropped in that are designed to set up future movies. We don't watch high T click on a bunch of YouTube videos of potential future agent. <laughs> was that a thing in G.I. Joe? I don't know. That was, uh, oh God, uh, Dawn of Justice. Is that right? Yep. They weren't YouTube videos in <laughs> Batman versus Superman. <laughs> they, they were videos that he had freaking hijacked or stolen from the, the basement of the MSU art museum. I feel like one of them was straight up just Aquaman giving what, like, what, like finger what's, what's guns the to the camera. But my larger point stands, right? It's like there's no point at which there are a bunch of scenes that are clearly setting up future movies down the line. So there's not even a post credit scene that we have to worry about. There's not even something where we have to contemplate that our universe is secretly in the pocket of a magician who's walking through a subway. Right, I like half that, the other though. Men in Black. <laughs> I was gonna say, I kind of liked that element of like the original Men in Black, where they're like playing marbles with our galaxy. Like, I liked that silliness, and I feel like that was kind of absent from from this one. They gave you a Pawnee. What more silliness <laughs> do you want? No, they went, no not like that. <laughs> like that. <laughs> Additionally, this had some of the worst. And by that, I mean most boring credits music ever. Like, I was not expecting that from a Men in Black film. Well, you know, once you get rid of Will Smith. They didn't go for it. They didn't even try. Very disappointing. This is a, a stupid comment, but it was something I wrote very early on in the notes. I love the Men in Black typeface. Like, whatever whatever that is, the font that they use, like yeah, that kind of like hand-drawn yeah, oh. I really like that. At like very early on, I was feeling very positive about this movie, just as a result of seeing that typeface again. You're like, oh, they kept the font. This is gonna be great. Yeah, <laughs> how could things go downhill from here? 
Yeah, but I just found it very refreshing that I wasn't expected to subsequently have to watch like seven other movies to get the full picture. That is nice. I mean, they they kept it open for sequels in like an unresolved relationship between Tessa Thompson and Chris Helmsworth sort of way, but not like in a there's going to be 14 spinoffs, one featuring that dog that talks and then those worm guys will have their own movie. Yeah, that was right. That was it just nice. it just ends like your standard like 2000s action movie of just like maybe we'll get a sequel we don't know but just <laughs> in case after the late 90s trend of we're going to kill off major characters and then have to contrive ways to bring them back <laughs> like men in black 2 did basically <laughs> oh another men in black 2 thing that i just thought of i was very disappointed <laughs> that the uh oh what were they called the ball chinians did not make a reappearance. Wasn't that a thing for Men in Black 2? <laughs> yes. God, that was an awful movie. I have not <laughs> thought about that movie until exactly now. <laughs> Somebody didn't join us soon enough on the movie. I, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I missed out on the first couple. I literally thought that during this movie. I was like, at least that's not back. <laughs> <laughs> at least there's no bullshit. Yeah. That's, that's what stands out to me about Men in Black 2. It's like, I can't believe they put that in. So uh, I, I brought it up in my synopsis and Charlie didn't much care for it. But for real, though, she saved the little the cute little alien guy at the beginning of the movie. And he then goes on to kill untold numbers of people. Do we know that? Hey, his boss in explaining why she was really nice to him and a good boss, you know, said she let him kill whoever he wanted, which implied he did a lot of killing. Yeah, all right, that's fair. I mean, the other problem with that is that he's not Jaws. That's true. Yeah. And so we're right back to the all movies are, you know, could be better with Jaws. But I mean... Is the actor even still alive? Who's the actor who played Jaws? I think he died a couple years ago at this point. Yeah, I think he did. Ugh, I can't believe when I type in Jaws and Wikipedia, it comes up with the movie first. Richard <laughs> Keel. Oh, wow, 2014. But I guess it's been a hot second. I mean, time is meaningless now. but He was age 74 when he passed, so that's pretty decent run. Charlie's been real quiet. I mean, I don't know if she should be held accountable for saving a cute little creature. As a child, oh, whether or not I you mean, are correct, Doug, I don't know how relevant this is to anything, <laughs> except as a interesting thought experiment. Hmm. Did I like come back into a baby Hitler argument? <laughs> <laughs> what if baby Hitler was cute and blue? <laughs> then what would we do? And kind of furry looking, too, as well. For what it's worth, her decision did eventually indirectly save the world. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Let's assume that she just slept through it all and the uh, the monster got out on his own or something. She wouldn't have uh, went full femme cell and, you know, become a men in black agent and, oh, would have just selected someone else to go see what's up with the London branch. Certainly the replacement could have also successfully saved the world. Could have, potentially. It sounds like most of us saw this for the first time within the last day or two. I don't know when y'all watched it, but did it come as a surprise to anyone that High T turned out to be the bad guy? Or, more related to what we were speaking about, 
that Molly meeting that alien came back into play? Like, was that a pleasant surprise for anyone? Did, uh, especially on the high T front, did anyone fall for Agent C actually being the bad guy? Like, did that did that catch anyone off guard? Or uh, the first time I watched it, um, I do recall uh, thinking that C was uh, a suspect. The first time I watched it, for me, I think they handled it well enough that I didn't immediately go to high T as the obvious prime suspect. Like, there's enough, I think, ambiguity that maybe it's uh, C, maybe it's actually H. Like, maybe that's why Vungus's little thing went wrong. Mm-hmm. That uh, I think I was I was fooled for long enough that uh, when the movie reaches the point where it's clearly high T, I had only just sort of started to put those pieces together for me. But maybe others feel differently. I was similar. I don't know when I was when I kind of started to suspect high T. But it was not, like, right away at all. I think it was after, like, the um, Marrakesh, like, chase scene. It, you mm-hmm. know, I wasn't, like, suspecting him then. Being like, oh, they're too obvious or whatever. To They're trying too hard to make C unlikable or something, you know. I was just like, hmm, it kind of could be anybody still. I just felt like it's a weird comparison. But, like, the movie Clue, where it's set up in a sort of ambiguous way. So Clue could just have a bunch of different endings to it so there it's by design whereas here it's kind of like well i mean whoever whoever they decide it's gonna be at the end so i'm not gonna get too invested in trying to figure it out like it could have been emma thompson sure why not (laughs) right and so they're just gonna choose somebody and then we'll go with it like i don't feel like they were setting it up so well that at the end i was like oh of course because all the clues were there it's like no just (laughs) somebody that's fair it was the balchinians all along <laughs> right <laughs> so i felt like they were going a little out of their way to make c a little unlikable where like i was pretty sure it wasn't him only because it would have been too obvious but beyond that like i didn't suspect high t like they didn't give us any real reason to believe it was high t like i i was pretty confident it wasn't c but beyond that, I, I had no firm guess. You were like, it could have been M. This could have been something she set up since. I, I suppose that was she met that little kid yes. or that little. Uh, uh, that would have been a twist. Alien. Yeah. Yeah, she figured out what it meant, and it became her life's work. To. I mean, in retrospect, maybe I should have suspected Liam Neeson just because you know he plays that character a lot of like the seemingly good character who turns out to be the villain, like in you know Batman Begins or Phantom Menace. So. It, you know, wait, wait, it, wait, 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 what you're calling Qui Gon a villain? Did yeah. he or did he Get not create Darth Vader? And did he or did he not introduce uh, Jar Jar Binks? <laughs> I feel like we're getting back to baby Hitler stuff. Right? <laughs> <laughs> they, they definitely had me on C versus T. Can I call him T, or does it have to be high T? It's a fun English pun or whatever, I guess, if you call him Oh, it is? Well, because, like, high T is, like, their, you know, it's tea time or whatever. Oh, really? I think. I think so. I think high T has a meaning besides, yeah. You are completely right. Isn't Uh, isn't he Irish? Well, and Chris Helmsworth is, like, Australian, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Mm. They got Um, accents, so they're British. Yeah. yeah, look, it's an American movie, <laughs> therefore. 
Okay. Um, where was I seeing this whole thing? <laughs> I will admit, I was kind of looking for a high C at some point. <laughs> Let's all sit back and have some high C and turkey. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, C was pretty sus. I absolutely would have voted to throw him out the airlock. <laughs> um, Liam Neeson looked very smooth in this movie. Like alien. He doesn't oh, like. Did he get some? Does, does he actually look that smooth in real life, or did they like put some smoothing makeup on him or something? He looked fine to me. I don't think I noticed anything one way or the other. Yeah, I was I was looking at a not a gigantic TV, but a TV that is in uh, I don't know. I'm looking at it right now, 15 feet away from me. Like it, it wasn't obvious, but I don't know. Maybe if I were up closer, I would have noticed something else. Because uh, he's mean, looking at this picture old. from oh, this is kind of an old 2012 is kind of old. I was like, he's he looks dewier than I thought he would. Freaking Google search to what? See how old he is, or see how wet he is? Just see what he looks like. <laughs> just wet and smooth. He's got, he's got that dewy complexion. He's just part dolphin. No, that's just what Liam Neeson looks like, man. Oh, the only thing, the only real difference is that he's clean shaven here, and in a lot of stuff, he's not clean shaven. So that makes yeah, a difference. But it's hard to find like, uh, clean shaven okay. pictures of him. Yeah, but yeah, no. This is that just, might be. This just looks like what Liam Neeson looks like right now. Okay, so it might just be the lower face. part of his face being unnaturally smooth. And I'm sure they put makeup on him because it's a movie. But yeah, hmm. I don't think there's anything excessive going on. Okay, well, he looks very good for his age, apparently. Yeah, he, he looks like he takes care of his skin. Charlie, something about this movie that you liked that we haven't discussed yet. We haven't really discussed the twins. I like that. We have not discussed the twins. Yeah, I I kept looking at them and being like, is it the same actor playing the same, like, just side by side? And then, no, it was like, they, were, they did look slightly different because they're real twins. Yep. But yeah, their dancing scene was fun. I mean, they obviously shoehorned that in because, yeah, they shoehorned that in yeah. because it's what they're actually, as you said, known for. But I thought it worked. It felt menacing. Beyond the dancing, the choreography between them was pretty on point they did a great job of looking like they were doing the exact same thing at the exact same time no maybe it was that club scene that gave me the 2000s movie vibes (laughs) oh that's probably that's fair i was like every (laughs) club scene does that like still (laughs) the humor in the movie didn't didn't always hit for me but there was one line that tessa thompson has after that guy's beard comes out of the water bottle and it was i thought it tasted like a living beard and for some reason just like the absurdity of that statement like i cracked up at that one that was that was good i like seeing m's backstory i don't know i i just felt like the beginning of the movie kind of between like you know the childhood flashback and and the call center thing i just i i felt like invested in her character from the beginning for some reason, I just really like the call center scene. As absurd as the whole thing is, like the idea of just basically being like a UFO watcher uh, at your call center job. Like maybe I just related to that too much. <laughs> Not necessarily UFO, but whatever else is on the other screen being like real life, you know? <laughs> I guess also one of the things I kind of liked about that was that once she gets accepted, then they just sort of gloss over the training, which I liked because... Otherwise, I think it would have felt a lot like a retread of the first Men in Black. And so rather than go through that again, they just are like, all right, we made it through your training. Now you're on probation. 
<laughs> yeah, like who didn't have to do like, well, what would she do instead of, you know, would she shoot the little girl in the right. <laughs> in so, the training exercise? To be to be contrarian here, I how long had passed between Men in Black 3 and this movie? Uh, like real world terms or in yeah. real world, in real like just when was the movie released versus when was this uh, movie released? 7 years. Seven years. I I thought they did kind of just rush along the like, everyone knows what the men in black is. Let's just go ahead and jump straight into it. I like I almost feel like I would have enjoyed it better if they kind of like force awakens it where they just kind of retread the first movie. But with these new actors, at least it would have like set the film up. For, and, and I guess to your point that you made earlier, you know, it, it would have been kind of driving future sequels. But I think a little bit more time just spent on the Men in Black organization in general might have benefited at least me in watching this movie. I mean, maybe I agree with that to an extent, but I don't know. You said Force Awakens and suddenly like... <laughs> I understand. I know. I know. Never heard anyone request for a movie to be Force Awakens. <laughs> The thing I liked about Men in Black International, the way I'm discussed yet, is just I do like the opening 2016 scene where the guy's proposing on the Eiffel Tower and they neuralize him, and then he, you know, H gets kicked out of the elevator and he has to neuralize him again, and so he's just so how they're just like proposed to her in the elevator, proposed to her on the ground. <laughs> like I thought that was fun. Although having never been to the Eiffel Tower, I did wonder: is there space for that giant room up there? I don't think it makes a lot of sense in reality i ironically actually did propose at the eiffel tower not on top of it but on the ground and like it there's did you did you intend to do it on well then that's a great question who knows (laughs) i don't know where that space would have existed up there like it is it's pretty small once you get to the very top but i i mean i don't know it within the context of this Men in Black, Doctor Whovian, maybe things are bigger on the inside than they are on the outside situation. I guess it's yeah, possible. Maybe. I mean, we already talked about Pawnee. Uh, I mean, you could talk about specific Pawnee moments, I guess, if you wanted. Okay. Um, I like the red button. The the pressing the red button was uh, kind of a nice nice uh, callback to uh, original Men in Black. You know, the, the, the red button, which... Uh, I think at one point Pawnee actually touches it or such, or maybe just tells them, you, you know, hey, let's let's press it. But they do, and it converts it essentially into a, a, a super fast jet. And I do like at the end of that how he's like, that was awesome. <laughs> let's press it again. So ultimately, what would you think of Men in Black International? Would you uh, save it from the hive coming to destroy it and take it over? Or would you uh, say, you know what? Come on in. This is not a, a cinematic planet worth saving. How many blue giant weapons out of 10 would you give this movie? Or how many Pawnees out of 10 would you give this movie? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. That one, I'm not sure if it works because it depends what you think about Pawnee. <laughs> well, it would take the absolute value of the ring. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know that I was expecting much going into the scene this movie the first time. And so... Unlike Dark Phoenix, uh, I guess my expectations were sufficiently lowered because I find myself enjoying it. By no means is it like one of the greatest movies ever. Um, It's definitely got plot issues. Yeah, there's just story problems that I'm sure are related to the 
production issues going on. As uh, I think Charlie said, basically all the actors are really good. And so it's a lot of fun just to watch their interplay and just watch them have fun in this James Bond style alien movie. And it was really nice to just kind of sit there and just be entertained for a couple hours and not have to worry about other movies coming up or anything like that. The thing I said when we finished watching it is that this really reminds me in a lot of ways of like the late 2000s, early 2010s set of Disney live action action movies. So things like Prince of Persia, Tron Legacy, uh, John Carter, which are movies that are, they're decent, they're not outstanding, but they're fun to watch. And for me, this was just like a fun to watch movie. The problem I'm running into rating wise is that for some reason I've given Men in Black 3 a 7, which feels a little low because this to me really, just based on the other movies that are 7s, this movie to me just feels also like a 7. So I have things like the 2005 Fantastic Four I have at a 7. The Ed Norton Incredible Hulk for me is like a 7. And so this also feels like it's like a 7 out of 10. Like, it's better than some of like the 6.5s. Like I gave X-Men Apocalypse a 6.5, and this is definitely better than that. Uh, so for me, I'm going to give this, should I be doing Pawnees or Crystal Gun things? How many different fancy Men in Black guns pulled out of improbable places on the, the Men in Black car? Oh, yeah. I figured uh, someone was going to mention that. No one did. That was a good scene. Improbable scene. guns. I like it. I guess I'm asking, how many improbable guns pulled out of unusual locations on the men in black car out of 10 would you give this movie so i think for me this is a i think this is still a seven out of ten seven improbable guns pulled out of strategically hidden places on the men in black car out of 10 i would give this so for right now for me that puts it at men in black three level i think that's wrong honestly i think men in black three is a little better than this so i'm just gonna do it and say men in black three you're bumping up to 7.5. So there, we took care of it. You so sure? Seven, it still puts you at lower than everyone else on Men in Black 3. Well, it had to happen eventually. Charlie can't be the lowest in all movies. So, <laughs> so yeah, 7 out of 10 for this. And we'll bump Men in Black 3 up half a point. And now for a counter argument, Kevin. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> the thing is, I don't. I don't have much of an argument for it outside of this movie just didn't really click with me. It felt more like, hey, let's make some money by making another Men in Black movie than in much more than that for me. I I definitely enjoyed it more than Dark Phoenix, but I can't say for sure that that was because it was an objectively better movie than because I like the X-Men as characters and it really bummed me out to see them treated in the way they were treated. End of the day, I would say this is just south, you know, like I, I wasn't completely neutral. It's not like this movie did nothing for me. It was a little south of that. I definitely felt a little negatively towards this. So I'll give this a four and a half improbable guns out of 10. That's where I land with this. I mean, I guess the real question for you, because we don't know this for you, is where would you put Men in Black 2? It has been a decade plus since I watched that. Um, oh, zero. Got it. Uh, uh, that's truly, I, I, I have not watched it recently enough to say <laughs> anything substantial. At the time, when did that come out? Like 
2002. A 2002 Kevin probably was like, <laughs> bald chinians, that's funny. So <laughs> I like, at the time, I probably considered it at least like a 6 out of 10. If I rewatched it now, I would say below this for sure. Um, but yeah, I would have to rewatch okay. the the Men in Black cinematic universe to, to say for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's not like a terrible, terrible movie. It's also riddled with plot holes and bad CGI, you know, like particularly compared to like, say the original men in black, which was a mix of CGI and practical effects. Like this seemed like a, a big step backwards in the special effects department, but yeah, it's, it's just solidly mediocre. Like a Martin Joe mediocre. <laughs> mediocre. <laughs> I'm gonna, I think I'm going to give it, six improbably located guns out of 10 about on par with like the, the Dolph Lundgren Punisher. I mean, I realize you gave the Dolph Lundgren Punisher a six, but that sounds like high praise in retrospect. Uh, Lundgren Punisher is pretty good, at least comparatively. Uh, the Dolph Lundgren Punisher was a really effing weird movie, man. Yeah. He's like hiding in the sewers for years doing Tai Chi, you know, and, uh, what do you think about Ninja Turtles movie, Doug? Same thing. You know, I think there's less balls in the Ninja Turtles. Movie. <laughs> Wait, I thought that's. What about the Michael Bay one? Charlie, <laughs> I've never seen an entire Ninja Turtles movie. Wow. So I, think we found I a do not know. Not even collectively an entire one in no in pieces on television. Nope. Not any of them, nope. <laughs> I've only seen uh, the entirety of Cool as Ice, the, uh, <laughs> the Vanilla Ice movie where he sings the Ninja Turtles song. I mean, I don't remember anything about he it. He sings the sure Ninja Turtles song in that movie? One. I thought he sang the Ninja yeah. Turtles song in the Ninja Turtles movie, the second one. Well, I'm pretty sure they, it comes up in Cool as Ice. Uh, why not? If you have the I'm material. i to fact check this, but I'm pretty... <laughs> What is cool as ice? All right, it's we like gotta a, keep going. It's a, it's a ice movie. <laughs> we cannot talk about cool as ice. <laughs> <laughs> Too far away. Hey, it's midnight for me, and I, if we want to talk about cool as ice. <laughs> That's the cool as ice hour. Midnight. <laughs> One a.m. <laughs> Charlie, what did you think of this movie? <laughs> Inquiring minds want to know. So I I think, yeah, when I got about halfway through it, I kind of figured out what the movie wanted to be. And a lot of it just works on paper, right? You've got Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson, who ha- we know have a good rapport. It's got good actors in it. It's kind of going for this James Bond jet-setting vibe. But... I, ultimately, it doesn't really come together. Like, I just don't think it works all that well. I mean, we've seen Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson with better chemistry in a movie we've already seen in the March. There, there's so many like throwaway lines that just don't work, and then every once in a while you'll get one that really does, and it'll just kind of remind you, oh, like why didn't they just take some of the other stuff out? Like, especially I think Pawnee really is kind of the metaphor here. Like, so it's amazing. He has a, no, he has a few really funny lines, and then a lot of times where he's just saying something in a sort of annoying sidekick way for no reason. It's like, well, just you could have cut that line. It doesn't even have to be in there. 
Uh, but there's you just don't like fun. But there's funny forever. But then I think City and the character in Men in Black International. Think of all the lines they already did cut. Imagine, imagine those also. In the movie. But then, I like how Charlie's just trying so hard to not get. Especially, <laughs> especially as we talked through it, it's like there are a lot of like individual things that I did like. I liked all the guns coming out of the car. I liked the twins. One joke I forgot to mention that got me too was when Tessa Thompson's like, "I'm driving," and she just gets in on the wrong side oh, of the yeah. car. <laughs> <laughs> Like an actually well-written joke that was clearly in the script before it was actually performed. So ultimately, I'm going to give this 5.5 improbably located guns out of 10. I have a lot of leeway between Men in Black 3 and (laughs) Men in Black 2, (laughs) which I think I was like at 8.5 and a 3.5 respectively. So it kind of fits in the middle. Uh, The half a gun is it's, it's the cricket that Tessa Thompson inexplicably doesn't want to use even though she should know better than everyone that it's actually a really good weapon wouldn't the halfway point be a six uh it doesn't deserve a six. it's it's in between but not precisely in the middle so this would, is would just she have as known good. about the cricket she seems this to know everything just else as good as x-men apocalypse she reads her tabloids about, she knows Sorry. the men in black lore of their weapon their arsenal she's why would she not know that she seems to know everything else charlie okay yeah. This is just as good as X Men Apocalypse for you. Yeah. It, yeah. War crimes again. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, Men in Black International. I liked it all right. Not perfect. Really good cast. There was there was a lot of good moments, and I think as a movie, I'm not taking too seriously. I found it, you know, yeah, an imperfect but worthy uh, of the Men in Black title. Men in Black International gets a 6.5 out of 10. Pretty good. Well, thank you everyone for joining us on our 69th installment of the Merry Marvel Movie March. We're now going to jump forward two and a half weeks. This is why the march feels like it's never going to end. But it's our 70th installment and the official end of Phase 3 of the MCU, Spider-Man Far From Home. So we hope you join us for that. I'm Adam Gobeski. And I'm Charlie Wallace. Uh, special thanks to our three mm, men guests. Is that what we called them? <laughs> no, our many guests. Oh, our many guests. <laughs> uh, Doug Gobeski? I mean, I guess I am an e-guest, given that we do this over Skype. So thanks for having me. Paul Wilcox? It was a great time. And Kevin Vredvog? It was a pleasure to be here. I'm sorry that you guys just don't like fun the way I like fun. <laughs> hey, um, I just have one last question before we stop recording. No, you can't kill baby Hitler. That's our show. Don't forget, you can check us out on Facebook, just like the Gobeski Wallace Report. And you can also follow us on Twitter, at GW Report. And check out our website, thegobeskywallacereport.com. That's probably the important bit. Well, yeah, I guess all the other links are there. So if you remember one thing, remember that. Not your name, but GobeskyWallaceReport.com. <laughs> More important than your name. And it was, it was nice to see Tessa Thompson, because right in Thor Ragnarok, like she'd been sort of like the 
the badass right in the hard on or the, the hard <laughs> the hard on fill in that classic hard on roll <laughs> what am I trying to say hard hard as nails hard ass maybe hard ass. maybe that's not I think yeah but maybe I just worried because yeah. I just said badass I was gonna get double assed <laughs> hard uh, ass <laughs> hard Hard on ass. <laughs> All right, let me try that again. Was that the oh, one with the glacier? Uh, that's the one in Norway, yeah, with the ice hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, although, I don't know, it feels a little bad to say this, but uh, I don't really remember what happens in Die Another Day, despite having rewatched it like two months ago. I think a <laughs> North Korean general yes. changes his face, maybe? Yes, I remember that. And Halle Berry's in it. But I don't... Are they going to take over the satellites and then they're going to winter oh, yeah. soldier, they're gonna soldier gonna, the world or something? I thought, weren't they shooting, and okay, I could be completely wrong about this, were they shooting space lasers to destroy a minefield so their army could get to maybe South Korea? Maybe? Oh, yeah. That sounds that's, I think that's correct. But the laser was originally supposed to, like, was the laser supposed to, like, melt? places like ice so that you could then use it for farmland like was there that... was there was a good reason for it but i have no clue what that <laughs> there good was, reason a, there was. was a really good <laughs> solid <laughs> realistic... i remember watching it and thinking yeah this laser is a force of good and then yeah <laughs> welcome to our men in black international podcast where we try to remember the details of die another day <laughs> That's some of my favorite content is trying to remember details <laughs> of other movies. Yeah.